0: Galatians chapter 1, verses 3 through 9. This is the word of the Lord. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins so that he might rescue us from this present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forevermore. Amen. I'm amazed that you are so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel, which is really not another Only there are some who are disturbing you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we, or an angel of heaven, should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we have preached to you, he is accursed. As we have said before, so I say again now, if any man is preaching to you a gospel contrary to what you have received, he is accursed. May we see the central truth in it, this great and glorious gospel that is beyond value. The gospel is the power unto salvation for all those who believe. May our hearts be believing hearts this morning. May we see it afresh and anew, and may you apply it to our lives like we've never experienced before. But we ask this in Jesus' name for his glory. Amen. Amen. As a child, did you ever play the game Connect the Dots? Connect the Dots. You were given a sheet of paper with what looked like a random splattering of dots all over it. And your job was to take a pencil, And connect them together in the correct sequence. And as you did, a picture would begin to reveal itself. Maybe it was a star. Maybe it was an octopus. Maybe it was Mickey Mouse. Maybe it was a polar bear drinking a Coca-Cola. I don't know what it was. But whatever it was, if it was designed well, you would have no idea at the start what this picture would turn out to be. In order to see the whole grand design, you had to sit down and do the work of connecting one dot to the next before the whole picture would come together. Growing as a disciple of Jesus, if you didn't know, is a bit like connecting the dots. You're a child, we're all children, spiritually speaking. You're a child. And you have to trust that the teacher, Jesus, knows what he is doing. Because you won't understand at the start how everything fits together. You won't see the grand design in the beginning. And like over-eager children or apathetic an apathetic child, we often don't connect the dots properly. We get ahead of ourselves or we just don't care, we don't pay attention enough. We mess up, and the picture gets a bit marred. It doesn't come out right because of it. But the more diligently we apply ourselves, the more we connect all the disconnected bits of our lives back to Jesus, the more the full picture comes into view. The more we see a true reflection of the designer's original intent in our lives. In this series on discipleship, we're focusing on seven common places that even genuine Christians get it wrong. Seven places that we fail to connect the dots properly. Seven areas where our discipleship is often a bit lacking. And because of that, the image of Christ in our life is a bit distorted. It's a bit marred. The picture doesn't look like it should. And we're often left hurt and feeling confused and frustrated because we didn't put all the pieces together properly. One big piece of the puzzle that we looked at last week was scripture sufficiency. Most every Christian knows, most every Christian understands that the Bible is a true word from God, but many don't connect the dots. And see that it is also a sufficient word from God. It's a sufficient word from God. In the Bible, God has given us everything we need. Everything we need for faith and practice. Everything we need to believe, it's there. And everything we need in order to live as God would have us live, it's there. He's told us. He's revealed it. You don't need more. You don't need more. More than the Bible, we said last week, what do you need? You need more of the Bible in your heart, filling your soul. That's what you need. God has already given us everything we need for life and godliness. God has already spoken a sufficient word to us in terms of telling us what we need to believe and how we should live. Because we believe that God has spoken a sufficient word to us, we want to be transformed by what is at the very heart Of that word. And what's at the very heart of the Bible? What is that? What is the central message of the scripture? Short answer it's the gospel. The gospel. The gospel of Jesus. If the Bible is the sufficient source for our faith and practice, then the gospel is what the Bible tells us should be at the very center of our lives. In other words, When we say the scripture is sufficient, we are saying in the very same breath, the gospel is sufficient. The gospel is sufficient. The gospel is a sufficient center to build my life around. I don't need anything else. Don't need anything else. This is what we mean by gospel centrality. That the gospel is not just a first principle. One that we learn and then outgrow. We move on to other things. The gospel is not simply a first principle of Christianity. It is an announcement of good news that has become the central story through which we understand all of life and we grow as a Christian. You could turn almost anywhere in the New Testament to see this, but I want us to focus on the first three chapters Of Galatians, not the whole chapter, it's just bits of the chapter, first three chapters of Galatians and to see what I am calling the three C's of gospel centrality. Three C's. We'll look at one C word in each chapter beginning with Galatians chapter one. The first C word, if you're taking notes, is this, content, content, gospel content. When you think of Galatians chapter one, I want you to think about gospel content. How important is it that we get the content of the gospel right? How important is that? How big of a deal is it if we add or take away anything to the gospel message? Well, Paul will tell us in Galatians chapter 1 just how big a deal it is. Look with me again, the verses that we heard read, verses 6 through 9. The Apostle Paul says, I am amazed that you are so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel, which is really not another, only there are some who are disturbing you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to what has been preached to you, he is to be accursed. And as we we have said before, so we say again now, if any man is preaching to you a gospel contrary to what you have received, he is to be accursed. Paul says it is a big deal to distort any part of the gospel. It is such a big deal that the curse of eternal condemnation rightly falls on those who intentionally change any part of the gospel's Content. Because to change any part of the gospel's content, Paul says, is to make it a different gospel. It's not the same. You've changed it, you've made it a distorted gospel. Do you know how the gospel has been distorted among the Galatians? Do you know? Nothing's been removed from it. Jesus is still fully God, he's still crucified for sinners, he's still risen from the dead. Nothing has been subtracted from the gospel's message but one small thing has been added to it. Do you know what it is? Paul tells us in the later chapters of Galatians, it's the gospel plus a little bit of Jewish law. It's the gospel plus you must be circumcised in order to be saved. Gospel plus circumcision. How could adding just one little thing To the content of the gospel, change it so completely that it is another gospel. It's a distorted gospel. How is adding one little thing, how does that completely change it? Answer, if the gospel is believe in Jesus plus you must be circumcised in order to be saved, then it's no longer Jesus' work alone that saves me. It is There's something else I must do. And if that's the case, my work actually becomes the pivotal bit. With this distorted gospel, I could believe in Jesus, but I wouldn't be saved until I was circumcised. A work that I had to undertake. Therefore, it's my work that makes the final difference in the end. You see that? In that case, I become my own functional savior. Yeah, Jesus did most of it, but he didn't do all. I had to do the last crucial bit. And if I have a reason to think better of myself than others, because it's because they only believed and weren't circumcised. I believed and was circumcised. Therefore, I'm up here and they're still down here. I made it, they didn't, and the only difference was something I did. That's not the gospel. Do you see how this one little addition to the content of the gospel completely changes it? That's why Paul says that even if an angel of light were to come to you proclaiming a different gospel, don't believe him, let him be accursed. Paul says, even if I came back to you later on and preached a different gospel to you, let the curse of condemnation fall on me as well. Why? Because you already have a complete gospel. You got it all. No one needs any additions. Not one addition added to it. But lest you begin to think, Paul must have been some kind of perfectionist. He must have been some kind of perfectionist who needs to have everything completely perfect when the gospel is presented. If if you're thinking that, compared to what what Paul says here in Galatians chapter 1 with what he says in Philippians chapter 1. You remember this? Back in Philippians, we just looked at. As Paul writes to the Philippians, he's in prison for the sake of the gospel. But he wants the Philippians to see how God is using his imprisonment for good. He says in chapter 1 verse 14, that most of the brethren trusting the Lord because of my imprisonment have far more courage to speak the word of God without fear. Some, to be sure, are preaching Christ even from envy and strife, but some also from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. The former the former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition rather than from pure motives thinking to cause me distress in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed and in this I what? rejoice. Yes, I will rejoice. What's Paul saying here? He's saying I'm in prison and there are people out there preaching the gospel in my place. Some have good motives, But others are preaching because of envy, strife, selfish ambition. What's Paul's response to both? Whether in pretense or in truth, whether good motives or bad, Christ is preached and I will rejoice. I will rejoice in it. The motives behind someone's ministry may be causing me personal pain. And yet, I can still rejoice. Why? Because the gospel content was true. It was true. Now, this is a vastly different story than Paul's response to the Galatians, isn't it? And why is that? In Philippians, the people have bad motives, but they have the content of the gospel correct. In Galatians, the false teachers may have the best motives in the world, but... They've gotten the content wrong. They've gotten the content of the gospel wrong. And that makes all the difference in the world. They began their connect the dots game in the wrong place. They missed an essential dot. And then it completely distorted the picture of the gospel. Or if you're, you're more of a math person here, uh, to tell it to you in, in math terms... Paul gives us an equation that looks something like this. He says, correct gospel content plus bad motives equals I will rejoice. But incorrect gospel content plus good motives equals let them be accursed. You see the radical difference there, don't you? In other words, folks, sincerity doesn't count for much if you are sincerely wrong. That's where the Galatians were. They may have been the most sincere people in the world, gospel plus circumcision, but if you're wrong, it doesn't count for much. The most sincere motives plus a false gospel still leads you to destruction. So, how important is it to get the gospel right? It's the difference between joy and a curse. The difference between everlasting life and everlasting judgment, leading others astray. So, when you think about Galatians chapter 1, think about gospel content. We have to get the content of the gospel correct. The second C, if you're taking notes, the second C of gospel centrality is found in chapter 2. The first C is content. The second C is conduct. Conduct. When we see, we see Galatians chapter 2, that the content of the gospel implies that there is a conduct that should go with it. And it's easy for even the most mature disciples of Jesus to get it wrong when it comes to conduct. Mature disciples, like the Apostle Peter, get it wrong. Look with me, Galatians chapter 2. Look at verses 11 through 14. The Apostle Paul has to confront the Apostle Peter over Peter's failure to connect gospel content with his personal conduct. Look at verses 11 through 14 of chapter 2. Paul says, But when Cephas, that's Peter, came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face, for he stood condemned. For prior to the coming of certain men from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they came, he began to withdraw and hold himself aloof, fearing the party of the circumcision. The rest of the Jews joined him in hypocrisy, with the result that even Barnabas was carried away by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas, in the presence of all, If you, being a Jew, live like the Gentiles and not like the Jews, how is it that you compel the Gentiles to live like Jews? Okay, what's going on here? The apostle Peter comes to Antioch, and at the beginning, he's hanging out. He's eating with Gentile Christians, with non-Jewish Christians. But when certain Jewish Christians come, Peter stops eating with the Gentile believers, acting like they are not clean. How does Paul, Paul sees what's happening. How does Paul confront Peter about this? One mature Christian to another. One apostle to another. How does that happen? What does that look like? Paul doesn't say to Peter, he doesn't just say, you're wrong, Peter. He doesn't just say, you're being rude, Peter. You're hurting these people's feelings. That's not the way Paul comes at it, does he? Instead, Paul says to Peter that your conduct is out of step with the gospel. Your conduct is out of step with the truth you know in Jesus. Jesus. The gospel declares that Jesus' blood has cleansed all those who believe in him. There's no one unclean. We've all been made clean by the blood of Jesus. We've all been made one family together. Now, Peter, you are living like that isn't true. Your conduct is not matching the content of the gospel You're living like these Gentiles who Jesus has made clean are still unclean. You're living like they're not part of the family. You're denying the content of the gospel by your life, the way you're living, your conduct. Now, it's worth taking just a moment to pause and remember who Peter is. Peter is one of the original 12 disciples. Three years every day with Jesus, learning from him. And not just that, Peter is one of the inner three. With James and John, who had some special experience with, with Jesus, saw him transformed, transfigured on a mountaintop. Peter is the upon this rock I will build my church guy. And he is getting it wrong. Even the greatest disciple can still get it wrong. When it comes to gospel conduct. If Peter can get it wrong, you most certainly can get it wrong as well. And we often do. And perhaps God has given us Peter (laughs) as a bit of encouragement to those who are often failing, often putting our foot in our mouth, often getting it wrong. Look at Peter, see how God deals with him. But at least we can say this should be a call to humility for us. Even Peter, the apostle, gets it wrong. Even the most mature leaders in the church can still get it wrong in their personal conduct. Peter got it wrong. I can get it wrong. You can get it wrong. We, we can have the gospel content completely right, but then fail to connect that truth with our personal conduct And we do that all the time. Think again about our game of connect the dots. What looks like a random bunch of dots on a paper becomes a picture when you connect it properly. Here's our problem what we can do on paper as children, we struggle to do in real life as adults. We often fail to connect a certain aspect of gospel content, here's one dot, to the corresponding dot of gospel conduct. How do I live? Because this thing's true, how do I now live like it's true? For example, when we believe the gospel, that God has forgiven us of all of our sins, that's part of the gospel, but then we hold grudges against others we haven't properly connected the dots, have we? God intends for us to forgive others just as we have been forgiven, connecting what he has done to how we should now live. Or when we believe the gospel, that God has removed his anger from us and put it upon his son on the cross. That's the gospel. The wrath of God removed from us, put upon the son. We believe God's removed his anger from us, but then what do we do? We hold on to our anger against others. We hold on to our desires for personal vengeance. What are we saying? What are we doing? We haven't properly connected the dots. What God has done for us, we should draw a straight line to how we should now live. God means for us to remove our anger from others just as he removed his anger and vengeance from us. And remember, folks, he did that at his own expense. What's too costly for you to remove your anger from others? There are also things that we know we ought to do, but we fail continually to do them because we haven't connected them back to the gospel. We have missed out on the real motivating power to do them. For example, we know we ought to be generous. But being generous only puffs us up, inflates our sense of self, until we find a gospel motivation for being generous. Until we connect the dots. It's only when we connect being generous with the generosity That God has already shown us in Christ that we find an abundant and pure motivation to give. Why do I give? It's because I see God has given so lavishly for me. He gave me his son. What is too much now for me to give? God was so generous toward me that he gave up his own son to poverty and to death that I might have eternal riches. That is should motivate us that should change our hearts and make us generous people when i believe the gospel of such abundant generosity towards me it changes my heart it does what a a rule can't do if i just had a rule kj be generous kj give i would i would start feeling prideful if i kept that rule wouldn't i oh i'm doing it but this isn't a rule this is a story This is a story of what God has done for you that should change you from the inside. And your actions begin to change because of it. Here's another example. We know we ought to accept other people, right? We should be accepting, we should be welcoming of others. But we won't be motivated to welcome and embrace the least of these. People who have nothing to recommend themselves to us until... We believe that that is exactly what God has done for us. We were the beggar. We were the poor. We were the ugly. And God welcomed us. He embraced us. He put the ring upon our finger and said, be a part of my family. I want you. When we were unlovely, when we were spiritually bankrupt on the street, God welcomed us into his home, into his family. God calls us now to accept others, gospel conduct, just as Jesus has accepted us. That's the gospel content. And to draw the line between the two. Make the connections. When we begin to connect the dots between what God has done for us and how we now ought to live, we will finally see our hearts changed. We'll be changed from the inside. Not by rule but by a motivating story of what God has done. We now want to do the things that we knew we ought to do, but didn't want to do before. We we weren't motivated because we weren't connected to the real source and motivating power. So let me encourage you in this discipleship journey of connecting the dots. That's what you're doing. Connect the dots. Whenever you see God in the Bible tell you that you ought to do something, see if you can connect the dot back to a gospel motivation. Oftentimes, you only need to read the context of the command in order to see it. Walk in love. That's a command. Walk in love just as Christ also loved you. You. Ephesians 5. Accept one another. That's a command. Accept one another just as Christ accepted you to the glory of God. Jesus said, If I, the Lord and teacher, wash your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. Connect the dots and you will find the motivation. A big part of growing as, as a disciple in good times and bad, is connecting the dots. What God has done for us in Christ to how I should now live, because that is true. Connecting what Jesus has done for us with how we live in this world. There's one last C, and then we're done. We've seen gospel content in chapter one. We've seen gospel conduct in chapter two. When you think about Galatians chapter three, I want you to think about gospel completeness. Completeness. Now, admittedly, sufficiency would be a better word to use here, but I've already used that word last week, so I'm I'm not going to use it again. And it doesn't start with a C, people. It doesn't start with a C. So completeness is the word you get for chapter 3. Gospel completeness is the idea that the gospel is complete. Thank you. Complete. It's all we need in order to grow. In Galatians chapter 3, Paul addresses the very natural temptation to think otherwise. To think that the gospel isn't enough and we should go looking for something more. Paul says it is a bewitching temptation. One that a lot of people who claim to be Christians today are still being bewitched by at times. Look with me, Galatians chapter 3 verses 1 and 2. You foolish Galatians... Who has bewitched you before whose eyes Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified? That's just another way of saying you've heard the full gospel preached. You've heard it. Verse 2: This is the only thing I want to find out from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? Paul asked them: How did you receive the Spirit? How did you become a Christian, y'all? How, what, how, how did that happen? Was it through the works of the law? Through your own rule keeping? Or was it through hearing with faith? Which was it? Hearing and believing the gospel. That's how you became a Christian. You became a Christian not through keeping any set of rules, not through law keeping, but through hearing and believing these words about Jesus. Now, Paul asks the killer question in verse three. Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? What's he saying? Having begun by hearing and believing the gospel, do you think you will now mature through something else, through another way? It's a very easy thing to miss. To fail to connect the dots properly here we tend to think that we've been saved through hearing and believing the gospel but now we will grow up through something else we'll grow up through other things it's like the gospel message is the abcs of christianity but now we need to move on to the higher math of rules and principles and self-help strategies We needed the gospel in the beginning, yes, but now we need something new in order to grow. We may be tempted to think that way, but Paul says it is a foolish mistake. It is a hurtful mistake. The gospel isn't the ABCs of Christianity. It is the A to Z of Christianity, as Tim Keller would say or the, the A2Z, as I would say in England. It's, it's everything. It's the complete package. The gospel is our simple math and our advanced calculus all rolled into one. Paul says, don't be fooled. Don't be fooled into thinking you need something more than the gospel. The good news about who Jesus is and what he has done, that's all you need. You don't need something more than the gospel. You need more of the gospel filling your heart, saturating your mind. Does that sound familiar? Are you connecting the dots? Paul drives his point home with one last question. Look at verse 5. So then, does he who provides you with the Spirit and works miracles among you do it by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? how does the Spirit work? How will we see miracles happen? Will it be through our rule-keeping and our ability to apply spiritual principles? Or will we see the Spirit at work in our lives and miracles happen as we continue to hear and believe the gospel? Paul asks, which is it? You already know Paul's answer, don't you? If you want to be a growing disciple of Jesus, then don't be fooled into thinking you need something more than the gospel. Like it's a child's toy that you've played with, but now you've outgrown. Don't think of the gospel like a toy, think of it like a pool. Here's a, a quote from Augustine or Augustine. We don't know how his mama said it, either way. Uh, here's a quote I'm adapting from him. He said, The gospel is a pool deep enough for elephants to swim in, but shallow enough for children not to drown. You get the image? Deep enough for elephants to swim in, but shallow enough for children not to drown. You you know what that means, right? The gospel message is simple enough for children to get it, to believe it, to understand it, to be saved by it, but don't let that fool you. A thousand lifetimes would still not be enough to mine out all the depths that are in it. Peter says that the gospel message are things into which angels long to look. Don't think you've plumbed the depths of it. Don't think you've plumbed the depths of something while angels are still standing there looking in at it with awe. You haven't seen all there is to see. I'm continually amazed by all that I am just now seeing in the gospel. All the dots of gospel content that I'm just now connecting to my life and gospel conduct. And the fuller picture that is taking place before my eyes. I could work on this connect the dots all my life. And still have more of the picture left to see and appreciate. I could drink at this fountain for the rest of my life and not come close to exhausting all the rich food there is for my mind and soul in this gospel. That is what I mean by gospel completeness. We don't need something else, we don't need a seven step program. Or a set of rules or greater spiritual principles to follow. That's the way of the Pharisee, isn't it? That's not the way of Christ. That's the way of the Pharisee. Please, please don't give in to the temptation to think you need something more. Paul says, The way you began the Christian life is the way you will grow in it. You began. By hearing and believing the gospel, guess what? You will grow as you hear and believe the gospel again and again and again, day by day by day. Don't be so foolish as to think God's Spirit will work in a different way than he did at the start. God's Spirit began his work in your heart as you heard and believed this message about Jesus And God's spirit still works in our hearts as we hear and believe the gospel message. Because that's all we get. The gospel message is complete. It's all you need to grow as a disciple of Jesus. It's what you need most when life is great and when life is falling apart. Give me Jesus. Give me the gospel. This is the means of your discipleship, the gospel. And this, this means that your primary work as a disciple is to make the gospel central to your life. It wasn't that by default. You were, you were pretty central to your life. Now we're taking something from outside of us and making it the grid through which we see all of life. Make the gospel central to your life, to see your life story through the gospel story. To increasingly make the gospel the lens through which you see everything, so that when that coworker stabs you in the back at work, you see it through the lens of how Jesus experienced betrayal, enabling you to respond in that situation like he did. when you 've had a long day of laying down your life for others, perhaps you 're a mom, and another self-sacrificial act is called for, you see it through the lens of Jesus, self-sacrifice for you. And you find the motivation you need to carry you through just one more act of service with joy. Because ultimately, you're doing it for him. You're serving Jesus. I'll confess that I, as your pastor, Don't always walk in step with the gospel. Hopefully that shouldn't be a surprise to you, but I'll confess it now. I've been anxious. I've been envious. I've lost sleep worrying about relationships. I've lost my patience in conversations. My words haven't always been gracious like Jesus' words have been gracious towards me. I confess these to you as times where I have missed the mark. That's what sin is. We've fallen short of this gospel. We've missed the mark. Times I've got it wrong and I've failed to connect the dots. Times I've marred the picture of what a disciple of Jesus should look like. If you've been impacted by my disconnected moments in the past, will you accept my apology? First off, I'm sorry. And... Will you walk with me? Will you walk with me into the future on a journey of repentance? That's what discipleship is. A journey of continually repenting, but also a journey of discovery. A journey where we increasingly connect the dots between gospel content and gospel conduct in our shared life together. Because... The gospel is complete. All we need to grow, let's be those who increasingly connect the dots of what Jesus has done for us with how we now live for him. Let's pray together. Father, I pray that you would make us true disciples who are quick to confess our sin, are quick to confess where we have failed to follow our Lord. We own it, but we also own that He is a strong Savior, able to save. His Where sin abounds, grace abounds much more. May we know and feel the cleansing blood of our Savior this morning. Because we've all fallen short. I have fallen short. All of us have failed to connect this gospel we say we know and we believe with our daily lives, how we treat our spouse, how we raise our kids, how we do our work. There are so many disconnected points. Lord, may you set our feet upon a journey together of connecting the dots, what you have done for us with how we should now live. And Lord, I ask by your grace, would you do that for the first time? For someone this morning. May in their heart of hearts, may they feel their need for a crucified Savior. May they know their sin and may they come to Jesus as the only hope for their soul. Lord, work that in our hearts. Set our feet, all of us, upon a journey and let it for someone begin for the the first step today. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen.